Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today, we're going to talk some USC football, recruiting the ever-popular recruiting podcast. We used to call them the Trojan Blast. I guess we can still call them that, but we're going to talk with Gerard Martinez, GMart Live on Twitter, at GMart Live. Uh, he's on the Peristyle, answering all of your USC football recruiting questions. He knows what's going on, the ins and outs of USC football recruiting. No one knows more. How about USC football recruiting than Gerard Martinez? He's joining us right now. Gerard, what is up? How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, another big uh, recruiting weekend in the books, and so we're looking forward to another big recruiting weekend. We've got two more weekends until signing day, and so USC is trying to cram and get as many uh, top players on campus as possible and finalize this 2017 recruiting class. Yeah, lots of uh, lots of stuff to go over. We can uh, kind of give a quick quick recap of the official visit weekend. Um, from last weekend, there was 10 official visitors on campus. There's a new, couple of new commitments since the last time we did a podcast. We can kind of go over those upcoming visits, uh, lots of stuff going on on the site. Uh, you can email us if you have any questions, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you just go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. All of our contact information is there. You can find out where you can download it. We're on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and Audio Boom and all that kind of stuff. So lots of different, uh, ways you can consume the podcast and we do really appreciate uh, all the feedback we get and everyone seems to love the recruiting podcast Gerard, especially this time of year we're getting the, the countdown to uh signing day and everyone wants to hear from the man gerard martinez yeah well everyone wants to hear about all the great players at usc is getting committed that's what they want to hear uh <laughs> they don't want to hear any bad news so it's a it's a kind of a, a two-way street there double-edged sword you know yes um I think I think with you know this past weekend, uh, a lot of people were asking me just the general gist of the the vibe and the feel. I think from USC and and sort of from campus, as opposed to some of the other weekends and trying to compare. And certainly, I think this past weekend, the vibe was much more positive. I think it has been in past weekends. Not to say that the past weekends were you know necessarily uh, negative or, or there wasn't really a, a, a good feel. It just was quiet. I think I think certainly November 26 where they brought in you know like eight nine uh, different recruits uh, for that weekend when they were playing Notre Dame. Subsequent days after that recruiting weekend were pretty quiet. It was eerily quiet, and you kind of expected there to be more buzz. But I think with some of those guys that they brought in that weekend, USC was still evaluating them. I think they were still sort of putting their board together. They're having a great season. They're trying to capital off with cap it off with this great Rose Bowl win that they ended up getting against Penn State. And so at that point, you were sort of um, kind of in between, transitioning a little bit from where the recruiting board was at the beginning of the season to where they could put it after having a really successful season and being able to win a Rose Bowl. And obviously there's a, there's a difference. You can bring in some guys who might have some interest from some prospects that weren't giving USC a look when they were 1-3 and three, as opposed to after winning a Rose Bowl. So uh, that's where they were at that point. So now, you know, in hindsight, you kind of see why it might have been a little quiet. Then they had the December, uh, I think it was 12th uh, weekend um, that uh, they brought a few guys in. And, again, you know, positive, more positive, and there was probably more vibes 
uh, about guys that uh, you know were maybe um, very interested in USC that kind of given some winks and nods on the visit. Uh, Taylor Katoa was one of those guys that was an early rollie that they brought in um, that we heard positive things about. Uh, but again, it, it wasn't quite as much buzz as maybe people anticipated. This past weekend, there was more buzz. This past weekend, the vibes were a little more overt about uh, USC being in very good positions with some of these players. And obviously they brought in 10 players that were uh, recruited for the 2017 class, had a few guys that were already committed. Terrence Lang, three-star athlete at Marinessa High School, uh, a big basketball player who's already committed to USC to play defensive end. He's 6'7", uh, 285 pounds. Uh, there were some remarks there at the at the actual visit with some of the other people that were there with him. Uh, kind of said, man, this, this guy looks like he's already 300 pounds and he carries it very well. So he's not a guy that you're necessarily going to have to put a bunch of weight on. He's going to have to get stronger. He's more of a basketball player finesse type player that's skilled as a pass rusher as opposed to being uh, brute and physical and uh, aggressive and those are kind of things just sometimes he looks like a basketball player player playing football rather than a football player with basketball skills and footwork so that's going to be a little bit of a transition for him but he's a guy that took the official visit there's potential he may still take an official visit to Oregon they're working on him we're going to see as two more weekends so there's a possibility. Uh, I don't know that he's going to completely shut it down. We'll see. I talked to him briefly. Um, we're still going to follow up with him to get a full interview about um, the entire trip. Uh, but uh, he did kind of say he wasn't 100% sure either way whether he was going to still take some more official visits. Jacob Lichtenstein, another defensive lineman, a three-star at Weston Cypress Bay High School in Florida. Um, he's a guy that uh, a lot of USC fans are kind of just really unsure of because he kind of was under the radar when he committed. Uh, but then they saw some photos of him on the official visit, standing next to the other defensive linemen who were on the official visit with him, and a very physical, uh, impressive-looking player. Um, he's about 260 right now, about 6'4", 6'5". He's a guy that's going to put on more weight. He's probably, I think, a 275, 280-pound guy at the end of the day playing defensive end in that 34 scheme for USC, uh, but a guy with a lot of upside and just really kind of raw. Like, like Lang, he's sort of raw, he's sort of a project, but definitely physically has all the tangibles that you're looking for. Uh, USC also had Brett Nealon, um, one of the bigger recruiters in the 2017 class for USC. Uh, he was there and he was working it and trying to get some guys committed and a lot of guys' ears. Uh, one guy that was committed coming into the visit that USC sort of still has to work on and still has to recruit is the four-star safety out of Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, Bubba Bolden. Uh, he's a guy that uh, you know committed to USC at the Army All-American game and there was a lot of kind of, I don't want to say controversy, but drama with that commitment. A lot of talk that, you know, he really wanted to go to Arizona State, but his parents were really pushing him harder towards USC. Talking to him last night, uh, it sounds like, you know, Arizona State's still there. There's still a possibility. USC is going to have their final in-home visit with him, or at least Clay Helton is going to be in-home with him. They actually have two more weeks where the assistants can come in. But this is going to be the official visit with Clay Helton, and they're going to sit down and they're going to talk with him and talk about you know, how he fits in the defense and really from a, a schematic standpoint where they see him making an impact, which will be very important. He's really high on USC. USC is definitely in the team to beat, but there's still a little bit of feeling like, you know what, he could go to Arizona State and probably play right away and play with his friend, Alex Perry, who's already committed to uh, Arizona State, and that's still a factor that's lingering in his recruitment. Uh, outside of those guys, um, Isaiah Polamau, who's the other big-time safety that USC brought in, it's interesting because there's been a lot of talk that Bubba Bolden and Isaiah Polamau sort of had a little bit of a beef, that a little bit of a feud going on behind the scenes. 
Now, that's been sort of shot down by them personally, and, and really Isaiah pulled him out himself and said, you know, that's not really true. I don't have any issues with them. But talking to Bubba Bolden, there's still some stuff there. It may be more on Bubba Bolden's part that, you know, he has a very competitive bravado. He likes to talk to talk. I mean, he's a chatty guy on the field, and he's chatty in terms of, you know, looking at the situation, uh, how he projects of him playing next year as a true freshman and him competing against anybody else. And it's not just with Isaiah Polamal, it's with anybody else on the roster. He feels like he's the best safety in high school football, and he's going to go on the next level, and he's going to make an impact right away. And he feels confident about that. And so he, 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 he backed that up and didn't really back down of saying, you know what, I, I feel that way, and if anybody's got a problem with that, whether it's Isaiah Polamal or any other safety, too bad, because I'm that good. Uh, that's just him. That's just how he rolls, as he said. Uh, Isaiah Polamal is much more soft-spoken. Uh, he's a more low-key, um, but a guy that USC is definitely recruiting, and they definitely want them both. And he had a great visit. Uh, you know, Arizona State is the other school, once again, just like with Bolden, that's involved with Polo Mountain, seems to be the school to beat or was the school to beat. At this point, it's kind of a coin flip. I mean, there's people that feel like, yeah, Isaiah Polo Mountain is going to go to USC. But then there's other people that think, you know what, I, he might end up going to Arizona State, especially if he doesn't want to deal with Bolden and sort of that talk and, and that sort of brushes him away. I don't think he's going to be necessarily scared off. But I think that maybe he just finds the situation maybe a little more copacetic at Arizona State. So I've heard both sides of that from different sources. And, um, you know, I could see either happening right now. But he definitely had a great visit. And everything we've heard, uh, USC, you know, put a good step forward. It's, it's really going to sort of be, you know, what situation he sees himself being more comfortable in, I think, with Isaiah Polamau. Uh, USC also brought in a, a few defensive linemen, uh, Solomon uh, Sol- Solomon Aubrey. See, this is the thing. We talked about this last, last podcast. He has kind of two first names. So at the Army All-American game, Shotgun and I were calling him Sabri Alleman, um because it is, they were covering both at the same time. Aubrey Solomon, the five-star defensive uh, lineman from Leesburg, Georgia, uh, took his official visit to USC along with Ellisville, uh, Mississippi's Jones County Junior College four-star defensive tackle, uh, Javon Kin- uh, Kinslaw, and uh, Mobile, Alabama three-star defensive tackle, Neil Farrell. They were all on campus uh, last week. And, uh, you know, with Neil Farrell, it kind of seems a little bit like a long shot for USC. He's committed to LSU right now. I think the thing right now that we're kind of looking at the dynamic in his recruitment is how it sets up with LSU and Marvin Wilson. USC is still recruiting Marvin Wilson, but LSU is still recruiting Marvin Wilson. LSU is really the team to beat for Marvin Wilson. And LSU already has a few defensive linemen committed. So you kind of see USC, I think, positioning themselves in a way that if Neil Farrell decides, okay, I think this is a little too crowded in the LSU defensive line, USC is kind of trying to make themselves the alternative pick there. And that's sort of how that's going to play out, I think. I think it has to be one of those things where Farrell feels like, you know what, it's too crowded. Everybody's talking about this Marvin Wilson guy. He's going to play right away. I'm not going to get a shot. I need to go somewhere where I can get some some playing time, and maybe that's SC. I, I think that's sort of what the positioning is there for SC. It's smart. It's strategy. Um, you, you do something like that. I think that uh, with Javon Kinlaw, it's tougher. You've got South Carolina. He's originally from South Carolina. He signed with South Carolina out of high school um, before he was sent off to Mississippi. I think his Mississippi Jones County uh, enrollment was really a placement by South Carolina. That's why South Carolina feels pretty confident with him. Alabama was a was last week right before his visit. He tweeted, sort of implied that he was eliminating Alabama, but I'm hearing now that he's still going to visit Alabama. He just moved 
his date. So Alabama's still in there too. So you got South Carolina and Alabama recruiting a South Carolina kid. Um, that goes against USC, you know, 99 out of 100 <laughs> times. So yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if, if something changes there, but I, I don't just logic tells you that that's going to be a difficult one to pull in. Um, and, you know, kind of, kind of last, but, but not least uh, in terms of uh, the, the, the big, you know, uncommitted guys that were there that were targets uh, were Sacramento uh, four-star tight end Josh Follow and Josh Follow, whose brother plays at Colorado. Uh, that's a that's a huge get for USC if they can pin him down to get two, you know, tight ends in this class. We know they wanted two tight ends in the last class. Uh, you know, with the two tight end sets that they want to run with this offense, uh, they don't have a lot of depth, and certainly they don't have a lot of depth with talented players. And follows a guy that they've been circling to go along with Eric Cromenhoek, who will be on his official visit this week with a bunch of um, other commits. Um, that would be a great tandem, you know, as, as recruits. And, and USC did really well with Fallow. I mean, that's another one sort of like with Isaiah Palomao. I think, you know, they, they did everything they could to, to be the school to beat there. It's just one of those things that there's circumstances. And his brother being a Colorado, that's kind of sort of question mark. Oregon is, is still trying to get him, too. They've, they've been pushing hard for him. Um, they, were, they were in it, you know, pretty good there uh, with, with uh, I would say they probably led um, along with Colorado for his recruitment during the season for a long time. And then, obviously, they had the coaching changes. So they kind of sort of fell out of favor a little bit. And USC has moved up there. But, but Oregon is still battling, too. So you really have an Oregon-Colorado-USC deal. Um, I kind of think right now it's probably USC and, and Colorado. And USC really did well. Um, I think that they feel pretty confident. I think with his recruitment right now, uh, we'll see. But um, you know, certainly they did they did put their best step forward with him. Um, so it was a big recruiting weekend, and then you know it actually had two commits from the weekend, um, which which really kind of capped everything off. Jakari Godford uh, or Godfrey, excuse me, uh, from um, Oakland High or from Oakland Bishop uh, Bishop O'Dowd High School, uh, which is the same high school that uh, Elijah Vera Tucker goes to. Uh, he's a three star that was committed to Cal and flipped his commitment. Um, upon his visit at USC. He was really thinking that he would commit to USC, kind of going into it. It was a matter of USC greenlighting his commitment because he had injured his uh, his knee. He tore his PCL and his LCL in his knee, and most people thought he was going to have to get surgery. And it was, you know, that much of an injury that, you know, probably put, gave USC a little bit of hesitation. And so he came down to visit. USC medical staff obviously checked him over and everything. They greenlit the offer that they gave him uh, in December. It was late late November, and he he was more than happy to commit. I mean, he was all over. He jumped on it, and so uh, that's that's an interesting get for USC because it's kind of like a you know they 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 kind of part ways with Wayne and Free, who was very similar to Jakari Godfrey. Um, you know, six two, hundred seventy five pounds, very lanky. Um, now, if you look on film. Uh, film for film, I think Godfrey has the better film. I think he's definitely uh, more productive and, and makes more plays on the ball than uh, Waylon Free did. Uh, but that's certainly one of those things that, you know, you, he is injured, and so you kind of take a little bit of a flyer with that. But everybody's expecting him to be able to be ready for fall camp. So um, that was, you know, USC pushing on that and, and making that happen uh, to add to the defensive back class. And then you had, uh, you know, a guy that came in with under kind of interesting circumstances, uh, Jalen McKenzie who's a 6'6", 310-pound offensive tackle from Concord uh, Clayton Valley High School. He's a four-star, but he came in on an unofficial visit, and he unofficially visited because he's in line for a blue shirt or an advanced scholarship, as USC calls it. And so he's 
committed now and, and committed uh, last night and decided he's going to take that blue shirt, which is basically the only thing it does is it just defers uh, the actual full-ride scholarship until you actually get into fall camp. And so what what we hear is Moms is actually going to pay for summer school at USC. Uh, his dad is Reggie McKenzie, who's actually the GM for the Oakland Raiders. Um, so, you know, he's, he's not he's not hurting. He's not coming from a, a deprived background. He's, he's, he's okay with that. So he'll pay for his summer school, and then he'll enroll at USC uh, in August and get that full-ride scholarship. So that's pretty good, you know, a, a pretty good blue shirt uh, prospect there. You're getting a four-star offensive tackle, guy that – Coming off a knee injury again, uh, junior year, didn't play junior year at all, uh, but USC liked his senior film enough that uh, they felt like he was back from his knee injury. And, um, I mean, you're talking about physical specimens. He, he's a good-looking kid. USC's offensive line is going to look really good. And just in terms of, you know, off the hoof, just looking at these guys, um, you got a guy like Andrew Voorhees, who I've talked about again, you know, cr- comparing him to Chris O'Dowd, just a, a big guy. Um, they've got a few big guys, good-looking athletes on that offensive line, and Jalen McKenzie is certainly wanting to be one of those guys. Okay, so that's uh, that's our show for today. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Got to do it, man. Got to break it down. It's what they did. People want to hear, you know, how each each um, visitor went and everything. And so that's the verbal breakdown recap of the official yeah. visit weekend. What, and we'll uh, do it next week too. I got a text from a, uh, a a a media member that's like a national media member that's always uh, interested in USC football recruiting. He goes, "Can McKenzie play?" So what do you think about that? Can McKenzie play? McKenzie can play. I, I think it's. I think it's a great blue shirt. First of all, I think when you're looking at the pedigree, you're looking at the profile. He's all of six six. He's all of three ten. Long arms. And again, you look at the bloodlines, and you say, okay, so you know he's coming off the knee injury. He looks a little stiff. He doesn't look as athletic maybe as he should be. But you kind of have to keep in the back of your mind. I mean, his brother was a number one recruit in the country, yeah, Khalil McKenzie, he's a stud just two at years Tennessee. ago. He's a stud at Tennessee. And so, I mean, everything tells you this guy's going to be good. And I, I, and I'm with California players, I always say it, there's a certain amount of projection that you just have to do. You have to be able to sort of project these guys. And sometimes it's projecting them because they're 250 pounds and you're looking at a guy and saying, hey, he's going to be 290, a la Chad Wheeler. Um, you, 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 there's different reasons and, and attributes that you're looking and you're projecting with kids out here as opposed to the southeast and back east. Those kids are just ahead of the curve in terms of their physical development for whatever reason. So out here, you always sort of have to project. And I think when you're looking to project accurately, you're, you're just trying to look at those telltale signs, those things that give you a little bit of confidence to say, you know what, that tells me that there's a, po- there's a better possibility than not that he's going to end up being a good player. And I think when you look at the bloodlines and you look at him physically and you understand he's coming off that knee injury, um, it's, it's, it's worth the gamble. And it's certainly when you're losing Damian Mama, you know, a year earlier, uh, you're going to have uh, a big exodus come in here with some of those juniors that are going to be seniors from that class. Um, that USC had with Mama because those guys are, you know, even though they're coming back for their senior years, um, they're still going to be seniors next year. So you do have to bring in some numbers. And so I think it's, I think it's pretty good. I, I, I think that that's not one that I question. USC's kind of floated out some possible blue shirts to a few other guys. Some of those I question, certainly. But with Jalen McKenzie, I say no. I think there's a possibility he ends up being a really, really good player. And he's a guy that could be a legitimate left tackle or he could play inside. He could do either, but when you have a guy that's got that height and got that length and he could play left tackle, not a lot of those guys out there. And so, um, yeah, I think it's a, I, you know, 
the product right now, you could you could question and say, hey, you know, what are we bringing in right now? He's a little stiff. He's coming off a knee injury, blah, blah, blah. But, again, you have to project and you have to look at the potential of what he could be down the line. All right. Um, so let, we'll jump into the questions, and uh, we'll just start. You know, we'll, There's a lot of other topics. We'll just get to them in the questions. Stephen Poway wrote in. He said, Ryan, thank you for the fantastic article, Stars Do Matter, published on USAFootball.com. It provided the kind of analysis that we've become accustomed to on your site, but I think that it's particularly poignant for USC this month as we look to see how the class of 2000, 2017 fills out. Will it be filled out with four- and five-star players as it has in the recent past, or will three-star and non-ranked players continue to provide the quote-unquote mortar that Gerard keeps talking about? Something I've been wondering is, was that awesome Rose Bowl victory uh, too late to salvage a 2017 recruiting cycle? Will the effect of it uh, not be felt until the signing class of 2018? Stephen Poway. And Gerard, I'm going to jump in first just real quick. So if you haven't read the article, put it up there. It's uh, it's kind of like the political climate in the in the country, Gerard, because I posted that up and there's a lot of people arguing. And you can e- hear from Steve's question. I think people are saying, well, I'm bagging on Clay Helton because the whole recruiting class is in four and five star guys. And that's not was not the point of the article. It's just this time of year, there's a lot of people that maybe don't get recruiting and they just tweet out, oh, this guy was a two star. See, stars don't matter. And this, you know, someone tweeted out that 37 of 44 all pro players from the NFL were three star or lower. I'm like, that is bull crap. There's no way that's true. So I looked it up and it's like completely wrong. Like the numbers aren't right. And I, the story I wrote it, I put out all the numbers and basically figured out that if you were a five star player coming out of high school, just a random five-star player versus a random three-star or lower. And three-stars can be really good, you know, um, three-star or lower. You're 60 times more likely to make the Pro Bowl than you are if you're that. And uh, it's just saying, like, look, it's not an end-all. It's not 100%. It's But recruiting stars matter. I mean, the the national title, the jar, I mean, uh, Chuck and put a bunch of stuff in that same thread about, you know, how many four- and five-star players are on the teams that have won the national championship. It's the majority of them are. So it's, uh, it stars do matter. Yes, there's busts. Yes, there's guys that were walk ons that become superstars. I mean, that does happen. But if you want to take, you know, just on average, you're much more like, like 20% of the Pro Bowl, uh, was made up of former five stars, even though former five stars make up 0.67% of all recruits. So it's like this really small window, you know, uh, sample of recruits make up 20% of the Pro Bowl. So that's all we were saying. I wasn't trying to bag on Clay Helton's class or anything like that. And I'm not saying this is how you win in college. It's how you lose. I'm just saying recruiting rankings matter. Stars matter. And that was the whole point of the story. Okay, that's my rant's over. I'll get yours, Gerard. Well, you don't hear a lot of people tweeting and talking about how stars don't matter when you have a national championship game between Clemson and Alabama. <laughs> Certainly not Alabama because Alabama is recruited better than anybody uh, nationally uh, in the past probably 10 years, and they've got a lot of five stars and they're winning a lot of games. So it doesn't really pan out. The argument doesn't really work there. No. I understand the need for the fans to to cling on to hope that there's going to be these three stars and these guys are going to turn around. They're going to end up being these, you know, really great players and productive players. And it happens, but that's more of the fantasy that comes along with recruiting. There's, there's an aspect of fantasy football that sort of comes with recruiting because every guy could be that next guy that helps you win a national championship, right? I mean, every guy, 
could be that Reggie Bush. This, there's this hope that, okay, he's going to be the next guy. And whether he's a four-star, five-star, or three-star, there can always be a narrative because there's a certain unknown until he actually gets to college and he makes it or he doesn't. So that's, I think, where you get a lot of this argument. And certainly there's going to be more three-stars than there's four-stars and five-stars. So you're going to have more players out there that are going to contribute that are probably going to be three-stars or a three-star level. And the thing that I always mention to people, and I'm actually – I spoke at a, uh, a, a registration slash ceremony uh, for Ground Zero the other night, which is a seven on seven team here in Southern California, and they probably had you know like two hundred players or something there. And Armand Hawkins, who's actually the the, the father of Chris Hawkins, who's a, a safety at USC, is going to be a senior next year. Uh, he runs the team. He's kind of a co CEO with Anthony Brown, who uh, Anthony Brown Sr. had his son, Anthony Brown Jr. actually play at USC. Um, so they're there. They have a seven-on team come in and, 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 and talk a little bit and kind of, you know, talk about what I do and sort of the process from the media standpoint. And the one thing I always tell all those players, I say, you know, you get all caught up with rankings. When somebody ranks you a three-star, it's not a three-star out of every high school football player in America. Really what you're looking at is you're a three-star, but you're a three-star of all the All-Americans. Because you don't end up in a high school recruiting database unless you're a Division One caliber player. There's not like these recruiting databases have every player in America in them. No, it's only the players that people project that they can be Division One football players. So you really, I mean, it's a three-star, but you're out of a, a, a sort of 1% out of all those players that are All-American level players. So... It's all sort of a little bit skewed, I think, when you're trying to look at those statistics and, and people are making arguments one way or the other about five stars and four stars and how much difference is there between a high three-star and a low four-star and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. I would say to answer the question, which is sort of a, hey, predict who USC gets at the end of the year, which is difficult to do <laughs> at this point. We don't know. You know, what would be a successful recruiting class for USC. I guess that's sort of what the question comes down to. And it's tough. It's very opinion uh, oriented here. This is totally subjective. This is totally sort of me looking at, okay, what's a win for USC on signing day? I think a win is they get Joseph Lewis. They, Greg, they get Greg Johnson, two players from Hawkins High School. Joseph Lewis, five-star receiver, 6'2", 210 out of Hawkins High School. The best receiver in the country, according to Scout. And a guy that I think, you know, being local – and being in a position where he can come in and make an impact because you have Juju Smith leaving, you have Darius Rogers leaving. I know they got a good class last year, USC, but this is a guy that could be as good as any of those players that they signed. I think that's a guy that you need to get if you're USC, and I think they can get him. Um, I don't want to necessarily predict and say they will get him. I think there's a good chance that they get him. I think, um, and this will be more war room stuff. In fact, thinking about it, we probably need to make this a premium podcast because we should probably get into some war room stuff and just say things are looking very good for Joseph Lewis and Greg Johnson right now. They weren't looking really good uh, like a month or two ago. And, and even as late as just recently as the Army All-American Bowl, a lot of vibe was like Greg Johnson wasn't fueling USC because he just wasn't sure about playing time. And that sort of subsided a little bit now. Evidently, had some in-home visits, and USC is painting the picture of sort of how they want to bring him in and how he can make an impact a little more vividly. And I think they're in a better place where Greg Johnson now. So Greg Johnson, Joseph Lewis, I think are two guys that you have to get. You get Josh Follow. You get a second tight end with this class, which USC has been striving for the past couple classes. They finally get that second tight end, a true receiving tight end. 
a guy that can make an impact in the receiving game, uh, along with Eric Cromerhoek. I think that's a great combination, and they're able to land that. I think that's important, not vital necessarily, because you've, the guys on the roster are playing playing better, I think, than anybody projected. Uh, certainly Daniel Imitor-Bebe has, has made bigger impact than I think people anticipated. Um, but it'd be nice to get a second, um, you know, kind of receiving tight end in the spot. Sort of finalized the recruitment of Austin Jackson, the big left tackle out of Phoenix, uh, 6'6, uh, 285 pounds now. I mean, he's a guy that's up there and almost at 290 pound range. That was the biggest question about him after his senior season. We saw him a couple years ago. He's like 250, 260, and it was like, okay, how is he going to be able to physically be able to make an impact early on in his college uh, uh, career? Can he actually get strong enough to be a guy that can play as a true freshman or at least compete for a starting spot as a true freshman? I think those physicality questions are now erased. I think that, yeah, he is physically capable of coming in and competing for the starting spot. I think you want to get one more good defensive tackle. You sort of have to get that 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 gravitational point, you know, that – black hole of the galaxy sort of thing that kind of brings everybody together. We're talking about mortar. Well, you got to have a brick there. And I think that's got to be either Josh Tufele, uh, maybe Aubrey Solomon. Um, you know, I, that, that's kind of maybe the two guys that would probably be uh, the, the two biggest names that you bring in that could make an impact early and really be able to come in and make people forget about Stevie Tuivakaluatu. Um, but, you know, that's you, you want to land at least one of those guys. They're going to get some more numbers. They're going to land, you know, probably Brandon Peely is a, a good chance USC could get him. Um, trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, Marlon Tui Polutu is a potential guy that could visit. He'd be a, definitely a great addition to the class. Um, but, I mean, the two biggest names that just keep coming up are Aubrey Solomon and uh, Jay Tufele. And, and you, just, you would like to see one of those guys. Marvin Wilson, potential, he could visit this weekend. Um, but I think he's a little more of a long shot. But obviously you would throw his name in there too. Uh, but I wouldn't want to say that, yeah, they got to get Marvin Wilson to have a successful class. I think you just want to get one of those, you know, high four-star, five-star level guys at defensive tackle. I think that sort of makes or breaks the class when you start getting in the top five, top three range for USC. Um, you know, Levi Jones or maybe another linebacker, it would be definitely, I think, a, a big get for USC. Um, they need to kind of get another inside linebacker, in my opinion. So they kind of sort of need to wrap that up, I think, with Levi Jones. He should be on his official visit to USC this weekend. Um, he's a guy that's going to take a little time. He's about 6'3", 215, so he's got to bulk up a little bit. Um, I don't know if he's going to be an immediate impact guy, but just in terms of numbers, I think they need a little more numbers there. And we already talked about, you know, defensive back position a little bit. You know, Greg Johnson, you kind of throw him in there as an athlete. Um, I think you got to pr- probably land another safety. Isaiah Polamal and Bubba Bolden would heck, be a heck of a duo, um, considering you're adding that to Jamel Cook, who's another big-time safety that USC, you know, was able to redshirt last year. Um, I think that was certainly big, big. And they're going to have to couple it with, you know, one other cornerback, and we're not really sure who that's going to be. Is it going to be um, Elijah Blades? Uh, is there going to be somebody else that they're able to kind of bring in under the radar from back east? They still have Trey Brown that's going to officially visit USC January 27th. Um, he'll be on his visit, I think, with Greg Johnson and uh, Joseph Lewis. I think they're all coming in that weekend. Uh, that would obviously be one of those explosive two-way players uh, that would certainly be a cherry on the top of the class. But I think that's more icing than anything just because um, he's a little bit of a long shot. He's been committed to Oklahoma for a long time from Tulsa Union High School, which is sort of a feeder school for Oklahoma. Uh, so that'd be hard. But I, I, I think that sort of 
the skeleton of a really, really good class. You know, a, a great class if you start if you're talking about you know, doubling up a defensive tackle, or maybe you get a guy like Trey Brown last minute and shock everybody. I mean, that's when you sort of take it to that other level. Um, but a really good class is still, you know, get one of those defensive tackles. Uh, that's really a gravitational point for the defensive line that you can kind of build around um, and, and, you know, be able to kind of seal the deal a little bit with some of those five stars like Austin Jackson and Joseph Lewis. All right. Let's, uh, we talked a lot about that. So let's move on. We got Mark. As we creep into our second hour of the podcast. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Um, we have to like, and the podcasts are all free, Gerard. So these are, uh, these are free. These are free. And, uh, uh, this is premium info, man. We're dropping some premium info on people here. I don't know. The subscribers might be upset. This is like a verbal war room. Yeah. So, well, we're trying not to get, we're, you know, we're safe stuff for the war room. Uh, we save stuff for the peristyle, but, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to keep the podcast free here, so we want to do it. But you know, maybe I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll sneak in some some premium ones. But we got to talk about it first. We can't pick it in the middle because we got to plan for those things, Gerard. These are this is just not things. We'll you just can edit out. On. We'll just play music like over stuff that I say that's premium. <laughs> say if you want to subscribe, if you would like to hear this part of the podcast. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. We have to figure a way to do that. That'd be great. Uh, that but right now, at all. we're going to keep it free. Um, and I did play a little. I was actually the podcast intro music played a little bit during your answer there. So I f- apologize for that. That was a accident on my computer. Um, I love listening to just the podcast intro, you know, but uh, okay. So let's you move- just were falling asleep on the keyboard is what you were doing. <laughs> let's move on to Mark. He said, thank you both for the ongoing coverage of the 2017 recruiting class efforts. Uh, given the recent dynamics of offers, commitments, decommitments, and official visits, it seems like national signing day Maybe another day of celebration, fast approaching for Trojan Nation. In the January 9th recruiting podcast, you both spoke briefly about the importance of the kicking game, both punting and place kicking, yet USC seems to generally focus uh, their public recruiting efforts and scholarship offers exclusively on field players. Given the uh, proven importance of these special teams players, uh, using this past season as an example, particularly with Coach Baxter back on the staff, why isn't there more emphasis placed on recruiting four and five star scholarship kickers? Also, any intel to offer on where the Trojans currently stand in adding these positions to the roster come February 1st? Thank you both, uh, as always, for sharing your uh, experience and insights. Best regards, Mark from Crown City. Well, hey, that's an easy question to answer. Damon Johnson, they just offered a full-ride scholarship to a long snapper. Uh, there's not really a such thing as a four- or five-star kicker or long snapper. Specialty players tend to only be three-star players, and that kind of shows you a little bit what I was saying about that that parameter of four stars and five stars and three stars and how it's – you're really a three-star out of, you know, the top 1%. It's not three stars out of the entire, you know, population of high school football players. Um, so they are addressing that, and they, you know – um, Matt Boymeister was an all, another guy that they gave a blue shirt to and, and has a full ride scholarship. So they're addressing it. For sure. Uh, we, you don't just see, you don't see them on the recruiting boards as much. Um, you know, it's just kind of rare, I guess, where you got a guy, oh, that guy's, you know, you usually find out who's coming from the kicking camps and things like that, but they're not, there's not a whole bunch of kickers ranked and there's not like two five star kickers. And then, you know, cause like for safeties, there's like a couple of five star safeties. There's a whole bunch of four stars. They just don't really have that for kickers and punters usually. Yeah, they have a kicking camp at USC, and there are kinky camps and uh, kicking training centers. Chris Saylor does a great job with uh, long snappers and kickers, but that's and it, it, it's hard to know like if any of those guys are ever going to be scholarship guys for USC. 
Um, I mean, from a general standpoint, if you're just a general recruiting analyst and you're doing West Coast recruiting, I could see you going there and maybe covering some of those events. But for us, it's sort of a needle in a haystack to go to one of those. And you don't know if there are going to be any guys there that are actually going to be recruited to be scholarship players because they don't offer a kicker every cycle. They don't offer long snappers every cycle. Um, it's not like other positions where, you know, you get overlap. You go to a seven-on-seven tournament, you've got receivers, safeties, linebackers, quarterbacks, tight ends. You, you know, you know you're going to be able to see uh, multiple players there that are going to be potential scholarship players, uh, very recruitable players. Um, at those specialty type camps, you don't know that for sure. And, and a lot of these guys go through weird, um, you know, sort of hoops and things to get to being a scholarship player. I mean, Damon Johnson himself was committed to West Virginia out of high school, didn't have the grades, went to junior college, and then that was, and he got recruited by USC sort of somewhere in between there, and, you know, then was ready to go to USC and then got his grades straight, and now he's transferring uh, from junior college to USC. So, I mean, that in itself is another kind of example of, yeah, it sort of happens for these guys. You know, Matt Barrymeister, same thing. You know, a lot, a lot of kind of like a windy road to get to being a scholarship player. Uh, so for us to cover that, uh, we kind of be spinning our wheels a little bit. All right, let's move on. Um, let's see. Hey, guys, thanks for all you do. Happy recruiting season. Question is, uh, with Clancy Pendergast 5-2 requiring uh, quality interior defensive linemen, where do we stand with the targets? Uh, Wilson, Solomon, Tefele, Ellis, et cetera. Uh, that's from Cliff. Kind of talked about that a little bit, um, you know, with, with Aubrey Solomon, very good visit. Uh, USC is actually having their in-home visit with him tonight. Uh, we're going to see, I think, sort of where USC goes from here. Um, I think this is sort of when they need to know, okay, are we really in it now? Are, are you staying home? Are you going to go to Alabama? Are you going to go to Georgia? There's been a lot of buzz about Georgia lately. Um, it seems like Alabama was the leader for quite a while. Um, and so we'll see. It's, it's a tough one. A lot of people have some hope, I think, because he's originally from California, but he's from Fresno. So that's not LA. That's a little different. I mean, you know, where he lives now in Georgia might be closer to uh, Fresno than LA is, um, for all we know. So, you know, Lee's, Lee's County, um, Georgia, I, I'm not familiar with it, but I don't think uh, it's I think, closer you know, to Fresno, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's I just in terms of just, you know, uh, whatever. I know Anyways, um, but yeah, so I, I think uh, this is kind of where USC has to figure out, you know, are we legitimately in it with this kid or are we spinning our wheels and we need to sort of look somewhere else? Um, and, and obviously with J2 Fale coming in on an official visit this weekend, that will be huge. Um, that's going to be big. That's going to be one of those things that, uh, you know, they're just, they're, it's, there's not a lot of big fish, you know, left to, to be able to get. And um, if you're really going to have one of those great recruiting classes, I think you got to get somebody there on that defensive line that can come in and make an impact immediately. And there's a lot of good players that I think down the line will be good players, guys like, uh, you know, Terrence Lang and, and maybe Jacob Lichtenstein and uh, some of the other players that they're recruiting. But those guys that can make an immediate impact, yeah, they're few and far between. And uh, Marvin Wilson, at this point, uh, like I said before, possibility he officially visits uh, this weekend. Um, I think USC is trying to sort of solidify that this week, uh, but there's nothing, you know, sort of uh, in cement yet. So we'll see how it happens. It's, uh, I don't know. It, we'll see. <laughs> You've got to see what happens with J2 Fale, I think, on the visit. I think that's kind of the most important thing right now. Um, I think Marvin Wilson's still long shot. And uh, Solomon, I don't know. I, I think it's probably more like 40% USC right now. I think there's a, a better chance that he stays uh, in the South. 
Let's go to next one. Gerard, California is loaded at quarterback this year, and it's looking like SC will somehow miss out on all the homes on, uh, I'm, excuse me, will miss out on all of Holmes, Jalen Johnson, Lenore, and Blades. Is this on Bradford? He seems terrible at developing relationships with kids. Wow. And rare occasions, and in the rare occasions he does, like with Jalen Johnson, he fails to sell the program properly. Jalen believed USC doesn't play freshman cornerbacks when literally every cornerback on the USC roster played as a freshman. Zero redshirted their freshman year. Both starting cornerbacks even started their freshman year. How did Bradford fail so badly at getting these facts across? Well, you know, with Darnay Holmes, that that was a tough one. That was a long shot. Um, but I will say if there's criticism to be laid, it was that uh, Bradford really wasn't a, a part of that equation in that recruitment. I mean, really when I talked to Darnay, it was all about, you know, Gavin Morris. His dad talked a little bit about Clancy Pendergast and that defense. Um, but in terms of relationship, they didn't really talk a lot about Randy Bradford. And, yeah, that's, 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 you know, that's sort of been a little bit of uh, Achilles heel, I think, for USC um, in this recruiting cycle. Um, you know, you listen, listen to the kids, to, to who they're recruit, who's recruiting them the hardest, and they drop certain names, and sometimes they'll call somebody, hey, the USC DB coach, and you know they don't have the best relationship when they say that. You know, they, they, they drop names of the coaches that they have those relationships with, um, we've talked about it in the past. USC, I think some of the coaches have just more of an NFL mentality, and it's, you know, hey, I'm here to coach. Uh, you bring me the players, and I'll coach them up. Um, but the thing about it with college football is that you really don't have that staff of scouts or anybody uh, that are just drafting players. It's a totally different thing. You have to convince those players to come to you. You're not just going to draft them. And so I think USC is in transition, and if there's going to be, you know, any kind of fallout or any kind of disappointment, um, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to point to that. They're going to kind of lay that on the feet of Clay Helton and say, look, it, you know, you, you, you don't, you, the staff as a whole maybe is not recruiting, um, hard enough in certain areas. Uh, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, I mean, you, you, you still have the potential of landing two of the top safeties on their board. I mean, really the two top safeties that you would want to get, uh, in Bubba Bolden and Isaiah Polamau. Uh, in a corner, you know, they're still in it with Elijah Blaze. You know, Elijah Blaze talks a lot about Florida, and certainly on Twitter it would appear that he's 100% committed to Florida and going to Florida. But we know how these things work. You know, we know how the process works, and USC's still grinding away. They're going to get him on an official visit January 27th. Uh, Ronnie Bradford was actually in home with him just recently. Um, so, you know, there's still potential there that they get Elijah Blaze and they get Greg Johnson as their two corners uh, in this class. And so we just kind of have to wait and see. You know, I mean, talked about it in the last podcast just about, you know, Clay Helton showing his ability to sort of pull it out there at the last minute and turn things around. And, and you know, with the last recruiting class, the last cycle, we saw that. You know, we saw that during the season. Shoot, we saw it in the Penn State game. And so it's one of those things that you kind of have to, have to wait until signing day to really see and make that judgment as to, okay, did they – sort of missed the boat here in certain areas. Did they really swing and miss in certain areas? Um, I wouldn't, like I said, throw the Darnay home scene in there just because he was kind of a, a guy that was destined to go to US or UCLA, and USC just came in there sort of, I don't want to say last minute, but they, they, it was sort of one of those things that nobody gave them a chance, and the fact that they even had a hat on the table and made it that close, I don't want to say it was a win, but it was certainly impressive nonetheless. Um, and, again, it's one of those things where, you know, USC sports staff is definitely filling in some gaps, and they're doing some things. I mean, just the last commit that they got from Jakari uh, Godfrey, that was Eric Ziskin. 
that was the lead recruiter on him. It wasn't Ronnie Bradford or Clancy Pendergast or really anybody else. The guy that uh, Jakari Godfrey talked about being the guy he had the most contact with and, and had the best relationship with Eric, was Eric Ziskin, and that's another support staff member. So uh, USC sports staff, even though they're not the most highly paid in the country, they, they are definitely um, being productive on the recruiting trail. Let's go to Paul. He said, Gerard, this weekend has many of us scratching our heads. With the most recent recruiting strategy, instead of loading up with five-star players in positions of need, it appears they're using our last invaluable slots uh, for for the of this class on mediocre players in area we are in areas we already have an abundance of commits. The other practice is it appears they are um, resorting to a blue shirt uh, players of questionable merit this year and trading away future draft picks. Gerard, yes, the staff knows a lot more about this than the fans do, or do they? To compete with the big boys, we need five-star recruits and top four stars. Even then, uh, you have some of them produce on the, uh, you hope some of them produce on the college level. Unless these coaches are geniuses at picking mediocre high school talent and developing them into top college players, all this brick and mortar line you're feeding us ends up going in the same direction, uh, as Oregon finds itself. If we can't cash in on the Rose Bowl reward in this year's class by finishing up with the five-star guys left on the board, at least saves next year's scholarships, hoping for a better class. Uh, what say you, recruiting guru, Paul in Vegas? Well, that seems like a lot more of a statement than a question. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, the brick and mortar is, it's again, it's all about balance. And, and, and certainly, like, you know, like I said, you, you have to have sort of that rebarb and that mortar to keep the wall strong. But it's not that you don't recruit any bricks. I mean, it's not a brick wall then. So I'm not saying that you – and this is kind of goes to the defensive line recruiting. That's, that's really where you're talking about, yes, you've got some guys that project down the line that they're going to be good players. If you want to have five deep in a class of defensive linemen, they're not all going to be five stars. That's, that's not you. And, and really stacking those classes, and this is where you go to the other end of the spectrum – is not a good thing either because you saw, you know, with Pete Carroll, he kind of over-recruited running backs a few times and had like a class. You got like five running backs, you got four running backs, and it's just too much. This is too many egos. Not all those guys are going to get carries, and, and it's like certainly like, you know, we just bring all these guys in and figure out who's who, and then the other guys are transferring. You can have that mentality, but that's not necessarily good for the locker room and good for chemistry. So I don't agree with sort of overstacking and trying to even shoot for that. I think you got to have a balance. you got to have some guys that are willing to work, willing to red shirt, willing to come through the process and develop as players. And there has to be confidence in the coaching staff that they are going to develop those guys that they can contribute. But that doesn't mean that you don't have to have, like I said, that black hole in the galaxy. I don't know if people understand that, that reference. I mean, every big galaxy nowadays, there's an astrophysicist have figured out that they all have black holes. We have a black hole in the middle of our middle uh, Milky Way galaxy. That's what keeps, that's the center gravity point of everything. And you have to sort of build around that. And so that's what I'm saying. In order to have a great class this year, to have one of those classes that, you know, USC fans are, are, are sort of expecting, sort of like what they expect during the season to be in the Rose Bowl, they expect to play for a national championship. If you want to have a recruiting class that's sort of reflective of that, then you've got to have a defensive line that has one of those players that can come in. You're losing a guy like Stevie Tuikolovatu, who was an impact player. And so you got to sort of replace him at some point with a guy that's going to be of equal impact. That's how you maintain the consistency of winning Rose Bowls and you, you play at that level of Alabama and Ohio State, et cetera, et cetera. 
So, yeah, no, you you do have to have one of those guys. you got to get Aubrey Solomon. you got to get Jay Tufele. Um, we'll see what happens with Javon Kinlaw. you got to find somebody that can make that. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't bring in guys that are three stars and coach them up, and you can't have a guy like Jacob Lissenstein end up turning out to be a very productive college football player who makes a lot of tackles for you. And maybe he doesn't go to the NFL. Maybe he's not a first-round pick. Who cares? You're a USC fan. You're not, you know, it's not about the Rams <laughs> and, their first, and their first pick in the draft because they've been terrible for so many years. It's about USC and how productive those players can be. And so that's sort of where that comes in the line. And, and, and whether USC is able to close or not, we don't know. We don't know. I'm not going to sit here and try to crystal ball and tell you, oh, yeah, this is everybody they're going to get. I mean, I know of three finalists right now. I know one that we predicted would already be public feel pretty confident about him being at USC. But there's two other big-time guys that we've mentioned in this podcast that are silently committed to USC right now. But you know what? Their commitments, they're silent, and we don't really – I wouldn't put too much on those silence. I think it basically says, yes, USC is leading for them right now, but I wouldn't go so far as to say, oh, yeah, you know, done deal. So, there's, I mean, there's degrees of all this stuff, and there's sort of, you know, variants – of all this stuff. And so um, you kind of just have to let it play out and see what happens, like I said, on signing day. Some of this stuff we'll know before signing day. We should know probably a week before signing day. But there's going to be some spots open, and USC is going to be, you know, chewing on their fingernails there on signing day for some of these guys. And probably that defensive line class, I think, you know, if it's, if it's really, really good or it's just pretty good, it's going to depend on what happens on signing day. Okay. Um we still got a bunch of questions left, so let's we'll try to rapid fire them a little bit if we can. They're uh, long questions, man. <laughs> like I'm on. answering these questions, and they're, they're very involved. That one, like I said, was more of a statement than I think a question. So. Yeah. So Bear Secutor, and I, I forgot to write down the name he was talking about. I think it was probably in the subject of his email, but I think he means Joseph Lewis. But he wants you to compare, I believe it was Joseph Lewis, with previous wideouts. Uh, who played serious minutes their first year at USC, Nelson Aguilar, Marquis Lee, Robert Woods, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Damian Williams. Uh, that's, a, that's an ambiguous question, um, especially rapid fire. I would say that, okay, I've always said that Joseph Lewis reminds me of a more athletic version of Javon McKinley. Um, Javon McKinley, I think, redshirted at Notre Dame this past year. Um, but, you know, like I said, a more athletic version of Jamal McKinley. So maybe that version doesn't redshirt. So those other guys, he doesn't compare. I, I don't know. He, he doesn't compare with any of those guys. I think only maybe Juju Smith, um, cause he has a little more of that physicality. Um, he's not Juju Smith physical. I mean, I think Josh Immator Baby probably really compares more with Juju Smith directly in, in that light. But of that group, it's probably closer to Juju Smith than Nelson Aguilar or Kareem Kelly or any of these other guys that you can, you can kind of pull together. Um, Robert Woods. Uh, yeah, he doesn't really Marquis lead. He's not, he's not that kind of player. He really is frankly a, a, a better football player than some of those guys. Um, I wouldn't say Robert Woods, but some of those guys like Marquis Lee are just athletes. You know, they were just really good athletes and, you know, they kind of put them in the system and they were athletes. Uh, but He's a good football player. I mean, he catches the ball really well. He's really physical. Um, he didn't play at the great comp- uh, best competition level in high school, but it was sort of a lose-lose for him. I, I know he got injured this year and kind of stopped. I think October, I think, is when he basically got injured and he didn't play a lot. And people sort of made some, some criticism of him at the Army All-American Bowl because during the week um, he didn't bring his pads the first day and just said he forgot about them. 
Well, what happened there is that he, he didn't really forget about his pass. He wasn't supposed to play that week. He had a foot fracture, and so he hurt his foot in um, October and didn't play another football game from that point on. And people are like, well, he didn't do anything his senior year. I mean, even if he did something, I mean, what are you going to say? He played at Hawkins, and it's not the greatest competition level in the world. And so it was kind of a lose-lose for him as far as, you know, what he did during his senior year. But what he did is actually came to the Army All-American Bowl, and they didn't let him dress out because they, they really wasn't supposed to play, but he still practiced, and he looked really good. I mean, he caught a whole bunch of passes. In fact, I have more clips of him doing stuff at the Army All-American Bowl probably than anybody else uh, because he caught just about everything thrown at him. Uh, but, you know, I, I think he, he doesn't really compare directly with any single player that's come through USC. I know people just want to know how good is he going to be as a freshman? How many, how many yards is he going to get? How many receptions is he going to get? I don't know. He's very, he, he, he's got a certain polish to him, even though he has a lot of upside still. Um, but physically, uh, he's as fast and he's big and he can, he can just do a lot of things. He's going to be a guy that can play as a freshman. It's really a matter of what he processes. It's going to be all about playbook for him. All right, not exactly rapid fire, but good job. Uh, let's go, Kenny. Yeah, I was bear secure, man. What can I do? I know. I was wondering, uh, what are the odds USC? You love the odds questions. What are the odds USC <laughs> ends up taking a guy like Anthony Pandy as a blue shirt, or do you think they'll end up offering him? Thank you guys for the hard work. You make it easy for me and my family to keep up with the Trojans all the way out here in Orlando. That's from Kennedy. Uh, Kenny. USC's offered up a few blue shirts, and Pandy's not one of those guys right now, so. Um, I think we're going to see. I think probably depends on Levi Jones, and they're going to bring you at Levi Jones in on a visit. And if they feel like uh, maybe not, you know, it, it, he's been a guy that I think people have been pretty confident that he would end up at USC, sort of behind the scenes. And now there's a lot of talk of Florida and Florida State, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that's really sort of what that depends on. Uh, I, there's people I know that are in favor of Pandy, and they're big Anthony Pandy fans. Uh, but I think it's a, it's not necessary to offer him a blue shirt if you're going to get Levi Jones. All right. Um, hello, Gerard. Uh, he wrote that out, a lot of O's. Can you provide more information on the recruit from American Samona, Samoa, Samona, Samoa, uh, Giuliano Falanico? Falanico. Yeah. Uh, is he polished, raw, and what is his high school football competition like when compared to Southern California high school football? And lastly, uh, where is he scheduled to play? I see where he's scheduled to play in the Polynesian Bowl. Does uscfootball.com plan to have a presence there? Thanks for your insight, Paul in Santa Clarita. Super raw, bad, no, Sam linebacker. <laughs> nice. Um well, Scout will have a presence there, so we do. We yeah. will have. He's a good player. He's a, he's a guy that you know, uh, the Sam linebacker, six you know, six three, six four, um, very physical, uh, a good find I think for USC. I think he's going to be a good player down the line. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, yeah, he's the definitely not great. Samoa. Yeah, yeah cer- certainly raw. So he certainly got um, you know, a, I think a red shirt ahead of him. Um, unless unless they you know find a spot for him on special teams, he's athletic enough that he could be a guy that could do some stuff on special teams. Let's go to Chris. He says, how did Greg Rogers and Jalen Phillips get away from USC? Thanks, guys. You're the best. From Chris. Um, Greg Rogers, I think Kenichio Daisy liked him because he had a good relationship with him, but he's kind of mediocre. He's not a not going to be a great impact player. Um, so get away is kind of meh. Jalen Phillips was just a legacy to UCLA. Uh, I think both his parents went to UCLA. I know his dad went to UCLA. 
And um, they recruited him. They recruited him hard and thought maybe they could get in with him at the end and they could, you know, give him second thoughts. But he was just destined to go to UCLA. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. You know, Anthony Barr, um, I'd say Josh Rosen probably too. I mean, there's a few, I mean, UCLA is going to get some guys. So that's uh, just one of those guys that just was you know, kind of destined to go to UCLA. We have Jamal. He said, with Coach Pendergast and Bradford's affinity for longer corners in the scheme that they want to run, is there any chance a guy like uh, Juwan Burgess uh, get a look at corner? Does C.J. Miller's skill set lead you to believe he would have the ability to do the same? And lastly, I appreciate your detailed and multifaceted explanations of our recruiting questions. It really gives the reader perspective with regards to how recruits, quote-unquote, fit within USC recruiting, Jamal and San Diego. Brian doesn't like them. Um, with uh, with C.J. Miller, I've seen him play corner. He was a little out of sorts. Um, I feel like safety is probably a better position for him. We'll see. I mean, he's another guy that's 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 sort of raw. He had a big senior season, though. That's the thing. A lot of people were kind of like, USC, what are they doing offering this guy? He was, like, unranked. Uh, didn't play a lot as a junior uh, on varsity football. And turned around and, and ran, like, four fours. Um, six one, 190 pounds. I mean, he's a good looking dude. He's, he's, I don't know how he's unranked just looking at him, but, um, he's, he's turned around and, and had a really good senior year. And I think, uh, he's a gem. That's another, that's a Gavin Morris guy. You know, that was one of those satellite camps that, uh, USC went to and he came to a couple different camps. It wasn't one of those things either where USC was just watching huddle film. Um, they went and had him at one satellite camp and then he turned around at another satellite camp, ran, uh, just as fast as he did the first time. And then uh, came out to USC for Rising Stars and ran. So they like him. He's a good athlete. But is he a corner? I don't know if he's got the hips for it. That's my main question with him. Um, what was the rest? Of the, there was something else. There was a, what was the other question? What was the, the second part of it? Um, Ask me about other names. Oh, guys. He, he said Juwan Burgess and C.J. Miller. Oh, Juwan Burgess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Juwan Burgess, I think, is for sure safety. Um, if he's a part of the class, I – at this point, I don't think he's going to be a part of the class. I think he ends up probably going somewhere else, maybe Florida. I think he officially visited Indiana last weekend. Um, I think he's one of those guys that probably shakes loose. Uh, but if he stays, you know, he, he could end up being a very good football player, but I think he's a safety. Um, he kind of had a lot of early hype in his career and sort of plateaued a little bit in terms of uh, his progression or other guys, you know, that maybe weren't that great early on, sophomore, freshman, in their high school careers, they kind of got bigger and stronger and surpassed him in terms of athletic ability. But he's still a very productive player, and he plays for a good team. Um, one of those things that I think he could end up being sneaky good. Uh, but, again, I think where USC is in terms of safeties, I think if we see, you know, we got Bolden, if they ever able to secure that, and they get Isaiah Plumall, they feel like they're going to get Isaiah Plumall. I think uh, Jabuan Burgess is one of those guys that might shake loose and goes elsewhere. we got John and Brea. He said, can you please take us behind the scenes and maybe give us a sample itinerary for, say, uh, Aubrey Solomon during his official visit to USC. Besides looking at the facilities and campus, how else do they fill the time? Uh, do they go to the beach, LA Live, Hollywood, all of the above? Thank you for your insight and tireless work during the weeks leading up to signing day. Fight on, John and Brea. Yeah, I mean, I don't get an itinerary. <laughs> I just know sort of in the past how they've done things. Um, you know, they pick them up uh, from the airport and they bring them in um, usually – they have some uh, academic meetings with uh, the the support staff. Um, they go in and and have their dinner. Uh, they have a big recruiting dinner on Friday night. Uh, and they wake up. They go to breakfast, uh, and that's kind of like that Saturday. They go and they hit the the facilities, 
and they see, you know, the, the academic facilities, they meet with the counselors, they meet with those professors and the deans in those, those areas of, of study that they want to look at. Um, then they go back, they have some team meetings uh, with uh, the individual players, uh, they hook up um, out of those team meetings and they usually go out, you know, Saturday night. They go out and the, the, their hosts or whatever take them out and they go whatever, you know, frat parties or whatever the hell they go and do uh, LA Live or whatever. Um, and then Sunday they have breakfast, uh, usually at the beach, and wrap it up with a kind of in, you know, person-to-person, one-on-one meeting with Clay Helton. In between there, they could go to a basketball game if there's a basketball game going. There's, you know, there's obviously different things that happen. Uh, they can go different places. Uh, but it, it's, it, it's nothing, you know, spectacular. They, they really can't go outside of, a, I think it's a 20-mile range of the university. So uh, with USC and obviously beating Los Angeles, you can still get a whole lot done there. I mean, you can go to Beverly Hills. You can go to Hollywood. You can go to a lot of places and still within that 20-mile radius. Uh, but all that stuff they do with the host for the most part. Um, the coaching staff is just with them with dinners and the stuff that they do on campus. Um, and then, um, like I said, they wrap it up uh, with that team meeting, and then they get driven to the airport, and they fly away. Sometimes they come back. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> uh, fun. Yeah. Um, they're, uh, you know, they, their tradition of going down to the beach on Sunday before they all leave, they all have breakfast and stuff, and uh, then there's a bunch of, you know, cars taking the guys and their, you know, moms and stuff to the airport. So kind of wraps up the long weekend there for them. Um, Marcel in San Gabriel Valley said, I understand our defensive backs coach left. He did. Uh, Toby with Lane Kiffin. And if that's true, what is the status on getting a new coach and how does that affect recruiting? Oh. He's talking about a sports staff member, not the defensive back coach. Oh, uh, yeah. He's talking about Kenyoto Hudson. Yeah, yeah. correct. Uh, and, and who they're going to replace? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, UC has a good opportunity to go get somebody that will help impact this class that's sort of been the uh, the trend with, with universities. You know, they, they fill support staff with people that can get them recruits uh, immediately. And so we'll see if USC does that. I mean, that's sort of the the variant there, that sort of thing that we with that wild card in, in the class that, you know, USC goes out and they hire some coach that has this great relationship with, you know, whether it be Aubrey Solomon or – Somebody, you know, you just, you don't know necessarily what, what's going to happen there and it helps, you know, land that player. So that's sort of floating around out there. They haven't hired anybody to my knowledge. Um, there's a couple names that, that were floating around and um, a couple guys I thought would be great hires, but I don't know if that's going to come to fruition. So we're just kind of have to wait and see. We will. Um, there, yeah, we had a lot of questions on the other podcast too about support staff. So not, not a lot of news there yet. We'll see. Um, if Clay Helton's really going to hire a bunch of people like some of the other schools are doing, we have not seen a sign of that yet. Um, last one, Gerard. Woo. Uh, it appears that SC is kind of stockpiling defensive ends in this upcoming recruiting class. Some recruits fit that mold, six, three to six, five, two thirty to two fifty. too small for a defensive tackle. Since there's not a lot of depth at this position, could, uh, this be an evolution of Clancy's two, four, five scheme? To a possible two five four scheme, but use a bigger, faster predator, two hundred seventy two hundred eighty pounds, as a stand up defensive lineman, and move the player anywhere along the defensive line. A stand up interior predator could really cause some issues for opposing offensive linemen, since they would be uh, consistently moving around. Thanks for all you do. Fight on, Martin in Ontario. Potentially, you know what I saw from Alabama in the national championship game was was very intriguing. Is they actually ran a one five four? Um, oh wait, that wouldn't make no. That would only be ten players. So it would have been they only had one defensive lineman. I've I've seen this before, but they only had one 
defensive linemen, and it looked like they had five stand-up outside line or linebackers basically just walking around the line of scrimmage. And, and you know, sometimes you'll do sort of that predator look where um, it's, all, it's, it's called a predator defense where you just have your, uh, your defensive linemen don't actually get down in a three-point stance. They just sort of float around. And so offensive linemen doesn't know what gap they're actually attacking. But this was different because it was actually just one down defensive lineman. And personnel-wise, the other guys they had on the field were all sort of pass rusher types. And so that, that was kind of interesting to me. I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't remember what the personnel was, if it was actually five linebackers or if it was five defensive backs, and I don't know what the, but I know it was just one down defensive lineman, and certainly you see see a lot more of that two four five defense, um, even in the NFL. I mean, you're watching the Packers game against Dallas; they're running a bunch of that as a as a base defense. So that's sort of been the new thing, you know. I mean, I, I expected USC certainly to run more of a three four, uh, which is the five two, you know, kind of same thing, and, and just to kind of semantics there um but really last year it was their base defense was that two four or five defense and it it does lend you to you know move those guys around more because we saw in the penn state game we saw throughout the season where there was instances where you know port augustine would line up uh, more as a mike linebacker and line up in the middle of the field and he would attack and blitz Basically, and it wasn't really when he blitz technically because he's always on the line and he's always rushing. But they put him in the middle of the defense, and maybe they'd have Cameron Smith move outside a little bit. Um, and sometimes they twist those guys. Sometimes they come at the quarterback right from where they're lined up. And so we've seen some things. And when you have an athletic player that can move around like that and can play in space, it does give you that flexibility schematically uh, to to do different things and to give different looks. And uh, it didn't work real well against Penn State in the Rose Bowl. Actually, that big run right up the middle, which was, I think, Penn State's first touchdown, if I recall, that was, a, that was actually one of those instances where you had Port Augustine lined up in the middle of the defense kind of as a Mike linebacker, and he ran uh, you know, right up into the, I think it was probably that A-gap, but it was, it was kind of, he kind of took a little bit wider um, angle and got taken right out of the play, and because Cameron Smith was sort of the outside, sort of hovering over the five technique, he wasn't quick enough to get over to make that tackle, and it just it was wide up the middle. There was nobody there to even touch uh, Barkley, so they scored on that. So, I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things, though, that they can give different looks. And, um, yeah, is it, is, it, is it sort of a, a player there that can be sort of a hybrid? I mean, right now I think what you're seeing with the 2-4-5, that predator position is, is sort of still a hybrid, but it is definitely becoming more of a defensive line position in that defense i mean when you only have you know four players at the line of scrimmage and two of those guys are stand up uh you're putting a lot of pressure on those guys to be able to take on offensive linemen you know you got to take on an offensive tackle it's not like you know a, a four three and it's a four three under and you've got your sam outside linebacker standing there and he's on that technique which is usually more of a seven technique he's a little bit away and you've got a defensive lineman there that's occupying that offensive tackle you don't have that in the situation when you're running that two four five so that guy's got to be strong Porter Gustin has got to be strong because he's taken on offensive tackles so what we're seeing is those guys are just they're defensive ends but they've just got just enough ability that they could stand up and come off the line of scrimmage and do something you know a little different just to give you some wrinkles but um you know, it's that other side, that Awushu side, that tends to be a little more of the linebacker. That's what we see Falonico playing. Uh, some of these other guys that they're recruiting that are more standard linebackers are putting to play that position. It's the, you know, Hunter Eccles of the world that are 
playing that predator position. And um, and USC's yeah, they're definitely recruiting that, and they're recruiting a lot of numbers of that. And they're pretty, you know, they're pretty stacked at that position right now with Porter Augustine. You've got um, uh, Olawale Betiku behind him too. All right, Gerard, great stuff. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here. We got to just about everybody, and uh, we're keeping it free. So. What was that? What was that? What was we're, that? An hour fifteen? Uh, hour fifteen, I think, was last time. Hour ten, uh, yeah. Hour and eight. Oh wow, shorter than last time with all of those questions and all that rambling by me, and then that short rant by you. Right, it wasn't too bad. So, um, but hope you guys enjoyed the the show. Hope you guys enjoy the site. Make sure you're on there. Uh, we had a whole bunch of people. We got a whole bunch of new users. Whole bunch of new you gotta subscribe just because when stuff goes on the parastyle of time, I answer questions individually, oh, and it, yeah. it's one of those things of you know teaching a man how to fish as opposed to giving him a fish. Like you get you know you get a post with all that kind of stuff, and it's all uh, it's all in together. You know people can just read it for themselves, and you know they can it's 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 probably easier I think to digest than just listen to me ramble on. I would think so, uh, but get on there. But it's good. I mean, people <laughs> love the show. And, uh, they really love when Gerard comes on. And this is the time of year when he shines. This is, he's Santa Claus and it's almost Christmas. So, uh, we, we appreciate it, Gerard. Thanks again for coming on. No problem. Hopefully there's no coal in the stockings this year. Yeah. No coal in the stockings. All right. That's Gerard Martinez. Follow him on Twitter at GMart Live. Follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. Hope you guys enjoyed the show and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 